And welcome back to another installment of Hoopsburg, a Pittsburgh college basketball broadcast. Uh, alongside my co-host, Lauren Kirschman. Hello. You You're were... getting so much better at the pauses. Oh, you weren't supposed to talk yet. I was going to... Continue. Thank you. <laughs> my name is Eric Hall, um, and we'll be talking about uh, local uh, basketball, college basketball. And um, if you found us, thank you. Uh, we hope you stay and keep coming back. Uh, you probably found us on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Or, of course, on, on our website um, under podcast. Um, and we hope uh, you subscribe to our channel and listen to all the other great shows, which, uh, which of course, includes uh, the Penguins hockey broadcast, podcast with Brian Messer, produced by Brian Messer, hosted by Brian Messer, starring Brian Messer, <laughs> and uh, our many, many others. But it's a, it's a running joke here. And, <laughs> And, uh, and one of these days, Brian's going to mention something, but he hasn't yet, so I have a feeling he's not <laughs> listening to our podcast. But you should listen to the Penguins broadcast. By Brian Metzer. Great. Um, speaking of people who should listen to our podcast, um, okay, that's an awful segue. That was really bad. Yes. Um, but I have no other way to introduce Pitt this week. <laughs> um, other than uh, you were there on Tuesday, uh, Lauren, talking with... Um, Coach Jamie Dixon and uh, forward Mike Young, because that's the only people they'd let you talk to. Um, we'll get that right off the bat. Unfortunately, we are at uh, at the behest uh, um, of what happens by by the uh, sports information department, and you know sometimes, and so you have to talk to Mike Young. <laughs> Did Mike have anything uh, interesting to say? Um, a little bit. Uh what I talked to him about um, and what I wrote my story about was that Pitt has gotten these two wins in the ECC, the Georgia Tech win and the Notre Dame win. Both impressive, Both impressive. Um, but what they've done is they build these big leads. They had big double-digit leads in the second half, and then down the stretch, they kind of disappear, and they have to hold them off with the foul line. Um, so what I asked him about is if that was a concern um, for the team going forward, the fact that they are not able to kind of hold on to these leads when they have them. Um, he said that it, it wasn't a concern that he would like them to play better when they have those double-digit leads so that they aren't down to two points with a few minutes left and have to hold on for the foul line. Uh, but the good thing for them, which I can't believe these words are about to come out of my mouth. I know exactly what you're going to say. Pitt is the best free throw shooting team in the country. I don't know how that happened, but there it is. Um, so when it does come down to... Oh, it's all that Brandon Knight coaching, I think. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, when it does come down to making free throws down the stretch to hold on to those small leads that their big leads come down to them, they're able to do it. So that's something for them, at least a positive for them to take away. Is it really that much of, uh, is it that unique, that special, that unusual, that a team with a 10, 12 point lead starts to lose it late as the other team pushes, as the other team takes risk, as the other team takes threes that they would normally take and they go in. I'm, I mean, it's a small sample size for Pitt. It's only two games yeah. that we're talking about here. But I have a feeling that um, that it does happen from time to time because those other teams, knowing they're down 10 and knowing 
you know, they're going to have to hit a shot and then foul and then hit a shot and then foul and then hit a shot and then foul. And it, and then those leads start to shrink from time to time. Yeah. I mean, I think it is, it's probably pretty common. Um, you see it um, across country from teams. Um, you even saw it from Pitt, some in the non-conference schedule, because when those teams, when you have a big lead, when you have a 15 point lead, a 20 point lead, you're not playing the same way you were when you were building that lead. Right. Um, so, I mean, I don't know how big of a concern it is. I don't think it's a huge concern until it costs them a game. Um, but it was interesting to see that in back-to-back games, the same kind of pattern was happening with them where they had – I mean, they were up by 15 on Georgia Tech with six minutes left, and it was down to five or four um, down the stretch. So, um, But like I said, I mean, it's good for them that they have five players on the floor at the end of games who are shooting better than 75% for the foul line. So no matter who they send there, they're pretty confident they're getting points out of it. And I mean, that's what they needed against Notre Dame. It was down to two points. Um, and they had to make their foul shots to come away with a win. Right. And I was surprised they were handling Notre Dame um, <clears throat> in the first half. Notre Dame kind of cut into it a bit at halftime. <clears throat> and I thought that might be a precursor to the second half where Notre Dame uh, kind of gets back into the groove a little bit, starts hitting the outside shot that they're known for. Pitt wouldn't shoot quite as well. I think they shot like 60% <laughs> in the first half. And I'm like, well, that's not going to happen again. This game is going to be tight for the rest of the, of the way. Not the case. Nope. They jumped out to a 15-point lead in the second half. Um, of course, again, when, when we're dealing, Notre Dame is not 15 points worse at home than Pitt. No. You know, um, maybe they're not as good as Pitt overall, but certainly at home, they're, they're not 15-point deficit. So you would expect a four-point game out of those two schools anyway. So I don't know if it's a problem necessarily that they're giving up those late leads as long as they hold it. Yeah. But it's an, it's, it becomes a problem when they start giving them up and lose. Yeah. I mean, the thing that's interesting <clears throat> is, like I said, it was even happening in the non-conference schedule. I mean, obviously, those teams weren't as good as the ACC teams that they're facing. But you would see even in the second half, they get complaints and they let teams back in the game. So, I mean, like you said, it's not a problem until it starts costing the wins. So it's just something, something to keep, keep an to eye keep on, an eye on <laughs> as uh, the ACC season progresses yeah. here. I, I've noticed um, through some of the broadcast as well and some of the coverage that Sheldon Jeter um, is getting some national, uh, I don't want to say recognition. I mean, we're not talking awards or anything like that, but uh, I know a lot of people were talking about him as one of the keys because he provides something off the bench um, that, um, that Pitt hasn't had in a while. Yeah, he definitely does. And actually something that Mike Young touched on yesterday was that having Sheldon Jeter there and what a consistent scoring presence he's been recently for them. Um, Mike Young has had some foul trouble and it hasn't, um, he said it allows him to play like he's not in foul trouble because Mm -hmm. he knows Sheldon Jeter's there. He knows there's somebody on the bench that can come in and make a scoring impact if he's not in the game. So um, but just having Sheldon Jeter out there and able to come off the bench and score like he does is so huge for them. Um, he's such a nice compliment to the Robinson um, artist young trio that they have going on. And Jamie Dixon says he basically thinks of him as another starter um, and a guy that can come in. And the biggest thing I think that he brings is just how explosive he is. He can be such a spark um, off the bench, especially out in transition, because he's so athletic. He's so explosive. He just brings something that nobody else on that team does. He's Kind of a interesting piece for them, an important piece for them, I think, going forward. And speaking of transition and Jamie Dixon, um, Chris <laughs> Muller of uh, 93.7 The Fan and, and a columnist, uh, correspondent columnist for us. Uh, we are glad to have Chris on board. 
and he wrote a column uh, on Sunday, right? No, what is today? <laughs> Wednesday. Wednesday. I'm sorry, Wednesday. <laughs> wrote a column on, today is Wednesday. Yes, he wrote a column on Sunday, though, about Dixon. My, hey, these days just kind of roll, roll together, okay? Give me a break. I'm old. All right? Anyway, um, about Dixon and his ability to uh, – finally contour his coaching to his team style um, and that if this team's going to win, it's going to win by that offense. And I think, you know, people are starting to give Jamie, you know, laud Jamie and give him credit for his coaching rather than tearing him down. I suppose Talk 15, about bizarre things going on this season. <laughs> I suppose 15-1 and one in a, you know, number 19, number 20 national ranking will do that. But Jamie Dixon didn't become a good coach again overnight. No. I mean – Again, I'm not trying to trumpet the Jamie Dixon bandwagon here because, you know, there's he would much he could have been criticized for over the past couple of years. Um, but he has um, he, he certainly shown again that as a as a pit fan, as someone who wanted to see him go, he said, you better have a heck of a coach in mind. Yep. And be able to replace this guy. <laughs> and make sure that they're going to come you here. You kick him out the door. <laughs> exactly. And I think what's so interesting about the coaching job that he's done this year and some of the things that he's said this year about this particular team and the way they play offense is that looking back at it now in those years where they were kind of struggling, it was a bit of a transition into the style of team that he has now. Because he, he lost Ken Birch, he lost Steve Adams, he lost his big guys, and he had to figure out how to kind of refix the team around all of that. Um, and a lot of what he said this year is that teams don't have those big guys anymore. Mm-hmm. They're so rare. They're either one and done or they're one and done and they're not, shouldn't be, or they're, or they're not good enough. Or they're there for five years and they can't get them off the Exactly. So um, he's saying, he said the game is changing and the team that they have now is the style of team that's going to be kind of taking over the college game, which I think is true. And I think he has a good point. And I think this team that he has right now is kind of the perfect example of what we're going to be looking at from Jamie Dixon teams going forward. Now Pitt plays at Louisville uh, on Thursday night. Um, you will be in Moon Township, not Louisville, Kentucky, I'm sorry to say, for the Robert Morris game. Yeah, geez. Not quite uh, not, the same. Not you're wrong about being with, in Moon Township now. Just, you know, just, I, okay. Right. <laughs> but before we get into Robert Morris, um, uh, you know, Pitt, uh, in, I think, an impressive win at the Joyce Center, Notre Dame, where they've had issues winning, um, although they're not certainly not the only ones who have issues winning yeah. at, at the Joyce Center, how good Notre Dame has been over the past decade. Um, but winning at the Yum Center um, is a whole other thing entirely, I think, because Louisville uh, is certainly one of the top 20 programs in the country year in and year out. And this year, no different. I think they're coming in ranked 21st. Um, do you see them getting out unscathed in this one? I mean, I had my doubts that they'd, they'd win it the yeah. other day, and I was impressed. But I just don't, I just don't see them winning here. I don't see them winning here. And it definitely wouldn't be a bad loss. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely game. not. It might make their um, RPI go up if they, uh, even if they lose. You know? Pitt has struggled with Louisville just in general um, with the way that they play. They attack yeah. you, that press, that – I think that what helps this year's Pitt team a little bit is that they have guys who can handle the ball. They have more guys that can handle the ball than they've had in years past, um, which could help them kind of – against that match, the weird kind of mm-hmm. matchup zone that they play mm-hmm. in the press. 
Um, but I just think Louisville's too tough, and I think that's too hard of a place to play. I don't think they get out of there with a win. But if they do, that's a really impressive win for them. How can we win a signature-type win, I yes. think? Um, where right now their best win is either Davidson or Notre Dame. Yeah, probably Notre Dame. Since they, it was I the think road. they're both in the 40s yeah. right now. Uh, in terms of our fan, Davidson might have dropped after their loss last night with Dayton, although that's not a bad loss either yeah. for them, certainly. Um, but I think that the script has flipped uh, with the Louisville. I think the defense was always ready to take on that point forward type thing that, that Patino runs yeah. there um, because of their interior defense, especially. Um, but their offense was never equipped to beat that press, to beat that matchup zone. It's flipped now. Yeah. They have the offense that's <laughs> able to beat this, their defense but their defense isn't, isn't going to be able no. to manage you know this this well. And so I I predict a high scoring game, which means it'll be like fifty five to fifty or something <laughs> like that. You know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of Pitt's games for the rest of the season are going to be high scoring games in the eighties. Um, when they play North Carolina, that game could be in the nineties. That's going to be <laughs> there's not going to be a whole lot of defense going on in that game. So. Interesting <laughs> that we're talking that way about the Panthers. I know, um, bizarre, bizarre. Value. But it, it's it is it is entertaining. I think it, it's definitely this is probably one of the more fun pit teams to watch. I would definitely put that Elite Eight team at the top yeah. still as the best team and the most fun to watch. But this one, the offense that they run is really it's very entertaining to watch. And, and I like to see good defense in, in basketball, and I and I think that you know that is uh, I don't want to say something of the past, but certainly. Um, I do like to see a good defensive game, but still, it's it is kind of fun to watch them run up and down the floor, and you know, uh, them and, and and other teams of that of that ilk that run this this type of offense. Um, Robert Morris, I'm not sure exactly they're uh, they're in the entertaining category right no. at the second. They're certainly not entertaining their coach, um, <laughs> although they did win one in Brooklyn. Um, and we were concerned uh, that they might not get out of there with uh, with one of those. Yeah, so. so I mean, that was good for them at least to get a win on the road they to get a win. Needed, period. Yes, they certainly um, needed. One. I was talking today. I stopped over at practice, so you can read tomorrow Thursday paper story Thursday online. Um, as I was well. talking to Elijah Minnie about how something that Andy Tool has been looking for from his players happened before that LIU Brooklyn game that they won, and that he had a bunch of guys talking, standing up in the locker room, kind of making speeches, talking, actually trying to be leaders for this team, which is something that he has been talking about wanting from these guys, I feel like, since the season started. So that is something that happened. Whether or not it pays any sort of dividends going forward remains to be seen. They could be missing Elijah Minia, uh, not Elijah Minia, um Rodney Pryor on Thursday, which won't be good for that them. That won't help, no. So, and they're playing Mount St. Mary's, who was picked preseason to uh, – win the conference. So it could be a really big boost for them or it could be a really Well, I don't game. I don't know if I trust the coaches' votes anyway because we're all second. So um <laughs> but I will say that Mount St. Mary's is um probably their chief rival lately. Yeah. Uh, although LIU Brooklyn has moved in it, it it's all about at that level, especially in terms of a rivalry, it's all about the best teams, mm-hmm. you know, and how closely matched they are. And for a number of years, it was Robert Morris and Mount St. Mary's, and then they kind of moved to Robert Morris and LIU, I think, uh, more than anything else. Um, and maybe St. Francis to some yeah. degree as well. Um, but those teams were clearly the best in the conference. Um, 
Boy, but without prior rivalry or no rivalry, that's going to be that's going to be a tough road and, to hoe. And Mount St. Mary's is three and one, I think, at the conference so far. Okay. So they're they're playing well. Robert Morris is not playing so well, no. and they definitely they'll need prior. Um, Andy Troll said today is kind of day to day. There's only one day left, so I don't know. <laughs> he's just day. <laughs> he's day at this point. Um, I don't. Uh, I, they don't have a lot of time left here to get this Mm-mm. to get this engine I mean, cranked. Or, you know. Obviously, anything could happen in the tournament. They got to make it first. They got to make the tournament. It's it's gonna it's been a tough year for them. Um, I just don't think I don't think the freshmen have come along like they expected and needed them to. I don't think that they've found a consistent score behind behind prior, which allows teams to just key in on prior and right, right. And I think that for many needs to. Yeah. Um, Step up. I talked to that to him about that some today. I mean, he knows that it's just a matter of making it happen, which I think is the sum of the Robert Moore season. They know right. it. <laughs> they just can't actually make it happen on the court. So uh, Wednesday night, Duquesne is in action against. No, not them. St. Louis. St. Louis. Before. Mark Schmidt and the St. Bonaventure Bonnies come here on Saturday, but um, we won't go into Duquesne very much. They have lost three in a row. I think they're starting to kind of move back uh, to the pack that we thought they'd be in, especially yeah. with the injury to Jeremiah Jones. Um, that being said, they're eight-and-a-half-point favorites against the Billikens. Hmm. The Billikens um, are, are not so good. awful <laughs> again this year. A lot of freshmen, really young, um, but they did beat George Washington at home. A week ago, which um, is frankly inexplicable, considering um, they have losses to uh, Tennessee Martin, Moorhead State. Um, oh, that, that good! They beat Edwardsville. That's, that's <laughs> they lost to Indiana State. They lost to Southern Illinois. They lost by thirty to Kansas State, which isn't a very yeah. good Kansas State team. They lost by thirty to Rhode Island. Um, I would assume that Duquesne bounces back at this point because they stop the bleeding here a little bit. They certainly need one. Yeah. Um, but at this point, um, it, it, without Jones, I, they've completely restructured their off. I don't want to say restructured their offense, but restructured their ball movement and, and who gets the ball and who takes the shots. Yeah. Um, eight and a half might be tough to cover. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I think that they probably will win, maybe stop the bleeding a little bit, but I don't expect them to kind of live up to the early season excitement that was going on there, um, especially not without Jones. Um, I think it's just had a big effect on their offense and who who gets focused on, and it kind of took away from that three-headed thing that they had going on. So I think it's disappointing for them because I think that they would probably be in a lot better position if he was still on the floor. So there you have it. Uh, Lauren Kirschman going with St. Louis plus eight and a half tonight, uh, Wednesday night. Um <laughs> Of course, this comes out Thursday, so it's not going to help anybody. But no. but there it is; it's on record. Um, now, the uh, those who share the Palumbo Center with the, those Dukes, the, the Duquesne women's team, uh, seventeen votes <laughs> in the AP poll. They are ranked in the coaches' yeah. poll at twenty-four. Uh, that's a first for them. Um, they have won fifteen in a row. Yeah. They're playing really well. They are not having any near the troubles that their uh, male counterparts are having 
Um, they are playing really well. Um, like I said last week, I mean, I feel like that their schedule is kind of weighted. Um, they'll pick up some of the more right, difficult teams at right. the end here. But, I mean, you can't argue with what they've done so far and what they've been able to do with this group. I think St. John's – actually, I think maybe Dayton. They beat Dayton, and they have an RPI in the top 30, which I'll figure that out. Um, as a quick aside, Abilene Christian, has, <laughs> our women's team, has an RPI in the top 20. Really? Really. I have no idea. Their best, their best win is 135. No clue. Maybe they're doing some Jamie Dixon style scheduling they over there. Really <laughs> I, I just I don't under, quite understand it, but regardless. Uh, Duquesne's is, is pretty robust. I think it's in it's in the 30s, if not high 20s. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but I did check it the other day. Um, like I said, they're in the bracketology. Every, this is the year for Duquesne basketball. And, um, of course, Chastino Legrosso, another – a ten point week award, <laughs> um, Blackhawk graduate. Um, she's just—they uh, are riding a wave of emotion. But uh, again, as you said, their their tough schedule comes later in the year. We'll see at that point um, if they can they can make their first tournament because um, they it will be a challenge at that point. But yeah. again, if they're twenty two and one going, you know, in the last five games, they might have it wrapped up anyway. I'm gonna say because at the beginning of the year I said that they wouldn't. Oh, you're changing I'm now? I'm changing. I changed Pitt last week, so I might as well change the Cane women this Have week. I had to change one yet? <sighs> I don't think so. No. <laughs> That's why you're the sports editor. That's or right. That, the experience. Uh. Of, <laughs> it's, just, it's just, you know, the experience of uh, being on the beat for 10 years and just seeing those little things on these teams. And it's just a complete crapshoot guess. What do you <laughs> Please and and but one one team I did have in Robert Morris women. Yep, up top of the NEC again. I think eleven and five. I think they've won five in a row. Um, uh, if if you know Sal Biscali is going out, he's going out on a high note. I think I, I think this team is poised. They have some good scoring. They have some good underneath scoring. They still have some good outside scoring. Um, They're experienced. Um. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I said I don't have to change that one. I oh, said that okay. they were going in. You said so. you're, you said in. Yeah, okay, so we're in. we're good for that. Good, and um, we have some some good basketball stories coming up um, in the Times on, and on TimesOnline.com. Of course, our NCAA tournament preview is coming up in March. It's only two months away. I know. <laughs> yeah, so we got some good stuff planned there. But um, for now, we'll just wait till your coverage of uh, Robert Morris and Pitt this weekend on the times at timesonline.com and we'll come back here next week uh, Thursday for the next episode of Hoopsburg a college basketball broadcast